Hi friends, welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. I'm so thankful that you're taking the time to listen today. You can find my podcast on iTunes at Faithful Podcast by Stephanie Baker or on my website, faithfulpodcasts.podbean.com. If you like the podcast, please leave me an honest review on my iTunes channel. Reviews help people find the, fo- the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. Also, I want to encourage you to check out my husband, Phil Baker's podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, where he explores what the earliest Christians believed and how they relate to the core issues that we face today. It has been such a blessing to me and so many others, so please check it out. My guest for today is Leanna Ward. I have known Leanna for my entire life. And she was always like a sister to me because she is my sister. Leanna has served on the staff with YWAM Youth with a Mission Marameu in Mozambique for the last 11 years. She helps to run their discipleship training school as well as their primary health school, all while doing the normal day-to-day activities of the base. She is a mother to twins, Ignacio and Marta, who are 10 years old, my niece and nephew. They're amazing. Before going on the mission field, she worked as an emergency room nurse in the Houston area. Leanna is one of the most selfless and amazing people that I've ever known, but I rarely tell her that because she's my sister and I don't want her to get too full of herself. I'm so excited for you to hear Leanna as she shares about how she is seeing God's faithfulness in her life. We discuss how sometimes we get into ministry or serving others with rose-colored glasses. She shares with vulnerability how tough and often unrewarding it can be to live a life devoted to service. She also shares, though, the beauty that she has found in the dark places after a physical assault on the mission field. I hope that you are as encouraged as I was. So let's go ahead and get into the interview. Hey, Leanna, welcome to The Faithful Podcast. Hello, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. It is kind of weird to interview your sister, but I'm excited to hear what you have to say about God's faithfulness. Yeah. Well, we kind of did stuff like this as kids, didn't we? So play shows. So (laughs) let's just do it for real this time. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Yeah. So first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, for a start. Not that I don't already know it. (laughs) I am your sister, your older sister. Um, I am a nurse by training, and I am a mother of two amazing twins called Nasa Marta, and I am a missionary with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, in Marameo, Mozambique, which is in the southeastern part of Africa. Okay. Um, So, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up going to church. Um, When I was about five years old, I made a decision to accept Jesus and to be baptized, but I did it with a lot of encouragement from my family and the people around me that it was a good thing to do um, as, you know, a young Christian kid. So um, I kind of made this decision more out of um, hoping that I was being a good kid and doing the right things rather than actually um, feeling like I had a real relationship with God. Um, it wasn't until middle school when I went to a um, conference thing and I heard this guy speak that I was made this decision that I actually wanted to follow Jesus for myself, that it wasn't about what my parents thought or about what my uh, Sunday school teachers thought or anyone else. It was that this is what I wanted because I knew that God loved me. So I think that's when... Um, my faith started to become my own. And then uh, throughout high school, um, more and more, I, I decided to, um, that I wanted to get to know Jesus for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's been kind of a gradual process throughout my life. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I would say probably middle school and high school is where my faith for myself started to take root. Yeah. Um, that's really good. I think it's it's really easy a lot of times to uh, feel like 
you know, you want the best for your your kids and everything. And so you kind of can push them, especially if they are maybe a type that um, that wants to please everyone around them. Sure. Yeah, sure. So I think that is a real temptation for kids and for parents to to want to do the right thing or uh, to want your kids to be um, in a relationship with Jesus because you have experienced it firsthand. You know how how wonderful and how meaningful it is. Um, But I think it's one of those things that um, as parents, we have to be careful to let kids make that decision at their own pace and um, when they're ready um, because just being baptized or walking down an aisle doesn't really make you a Christian if the heart isn't ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, so um, it wasn't probably too long after that that you felt called to the mission field. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, um, as I said, I grew up in church and um, we had a lot of different, um, we were we had a lot of different speakers that came through, especially in this group that I was in called Girls in Action, um, GAs, for those of you raised in the right. Southern Baptist tradition. Um, so I would hear these different missionaries speak and it would just sort of ignite something in me, I think, that like, yeah, I want to do that one day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then it kind of got pushed to the back burner. Um, I went to to university at um, Baylor, and it was one of those things that was kind of in my mind, but then um, we had these sessions called Chapel Forum, and they were sort of required um, sessions where you would go and hear different people speak every week. And a mm-hmm. lot of people really hated them, and they slept through them, but I actually... Um, really enjoyed it because we had a lot of amazing speakers come through there. Um, and it was in these in this time, these different speakers that started coming um, that God began to sort of awaken this thing that had been sleeping or dormant in me. And right. um, this desire to, um, you know, that the world was a very unequal place and that I could do something about that. So I guess in my looking at missions, it's always been through the lens of poverty and inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that I feel um, that Jesus just wants poor people to have food and um, vaccinations and then they'll be okay. But I think that that's a huge part of our faith. And it's one of those things that Jesus goes on and on about. So that's kind of the lens through which I um, approached missions. Um, so as these speakers started speaking, um, these different things were awakened in me. And then I went to this missions conference and uh, the man there was speaking about how much um, Christian workers are focused in places like America and Europe and how much need there is in the rest of the world and how, um, yeah, unevenly distributed, I would say, the Christian workers are. So all of this was sort of messing around with my heart and um, making me think about things. So when I was 26, I did a uh, course on mercy ships, a training course. Mm -hmm. So it was six months long, and it was three months of lectures and then three months of outreach or putting into practice the things that you had learned. Mm -hmm. So this was a time where I was able to sort of dip my toe into the missions field um, to try it out. But six months is not the rest of your life. So if it goes horribly wrong, you can just go back and go, oh, that was fun. Now (laughs) I'm back here in America. Um, But actually, the opposite happened. Um, Once I was there, I met some fantastic friends who are still yeah, some of my best friends in life. And um, just being around like-minded people, um, people that when you say, you know, I kind of feel like the Bible is saying this, and they go, oh, me too. And you think, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just the way that they saw the world was um, inspiring to me. And um, all of this helped me to want to um, commit my life to this. Um right. The people that I worked with on the ship, the experiences that I had, because I had a background in nursing, I worked um, on the ward, on the post-op and pre-op patients. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, getting to know those patients, experiencing a whole new 
way of life, all of this contributed to me feeling like this was the direction my life was headed in. Yeah. And so kind of as a result of that, I came back to the States, but I still felt like God was pushing me in that direction. Uh, so one of my friends from the ship, Allison, um, we stayed in touch and actually there was a group of us that stayed in touch, but we had a reunion about six months after that. And we both talked about wanting to go back um, overseas, but we didn't know how that could look or uh, what we could do or anything like that. And so our other friend, Kate, said, oh, well, you both want to go. Why don't you go together? So we thought, okay, well, that's less scary. Let's try and mm-hmm. do that. Um, so from that, we started praying and writing to all the different missionaries that we knew that were all over the world and uh, eventually got interested in Mozambique. And um, once we had gone out there for a visit, we we went to this base in Marameo, and that's when we really felt like that was the place that God has for us, or God had for us. Um, so yeah, it was another kind of slow and steady process, but um, yeah, I think God was using all these little things along the way to to point me in that direction. That's really cool. I think it's it's interesting. Um, a lot of people may know somebody who's been like called to the mission field in some way or another, and you hear these stories of folks who are like, "God wants me to go to China," and yeah. they just pack up everything and they go. And I think your story is similar in some ways, but I think it's very different in that you took time and really like, like, where do you want us to go, God? And you kind of went out and did some research on your own, and you sort of got to know the people at the bases and. Mm. Um, how, how do you feel like that was beneficial for you? Well, I think some people, um, different stories I've heard, people have had kind of a nation put on their heart from a young age. I knew people that said, oh, you know, I knew I was going to go to South Africa or I knew I was going to go to whatever that nation was. And I mm-hmm. never had that kind of experience. I never mm-hmm. had God spell it out in big, bright letters for me. This is where you're headed. Um, so I think um, just you know, trying to stay with God on that, knowing that this is a desire that he has put in my heart and in my life. And um, yeah, through prayer, seeing the next thing um, and the next thing. And yeah, I think that's kind of how how God used it in my life. I know he works differently in everyone's lives. And some people, as you said, they just pack it all up and go straight out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can see the way that God used these steps, um, particularly going overseas on this six-month short-term trip mm-hmm. um, to awaken a desire for something um, more long-term within me. Right. That's good. That's really good. Um, so can you tell me about some of the obstacles that you had come your way? Well, uh, so it's... Um, yeah, I would say that it was it was a difficult thing because... Um, I had a, a lot of commitments in my life. Um, the the ministry that I was involved in with the youth group, um, and then my family was all pretty much in one place. Uh, and then my job as an ER nurse, I think all of these things made me feel like it would be really hard to leave. Mm-hmm. I think um, I really liked my life. So contentment and complacency were big obstacles and I was already doing stuff for the Lord in some ways mm-hmm. um, so it felt like okay well I've I've given enough here um, mm-hmm. but I just had this like nagging at the back of my mind that you know is this is this all there is do you have mm-hmm. more for me God and um, yeah just this feeling that um, as happy as I was there I was still not fully um, Content. So I think um, complacency and contentment are are kind of big obstacles because they life looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to kind of step out what what look from what looks right and what feels right to go in a totally other direction. Right. I didn't have any um, promised financial support when I first made this decision. So that was another big thing. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't quite sure where the money was going to come from for mm-hmm. me to 
to live this life that I felt like I was called to. And then I'd say fear was an obstacle as well. I'm probably a bit more adventurous than a lot of people, but even so I was afraid of living in a whole new place and not knowing how to communicate with people, not knowing the cultural norms, all of these things. I would say I went into it with with a lot of anxiety and especially the closer I got to the time when I was supposed to be leaving, that anxiety increased, mm-hmm. but I still felt that, no, this is what I need to do. Yeah. I I feel like I remember, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember that you applied to one mission organization and were told, not right now, apply later. And then I yeah. think you applied to Mercy Ships and you were told, we well, are full for right now. Sure. And then the opportunity opened up how far in advance? It was probably less than a month before the start of this course. And it was all over Christmas time, the preparation. So I had to quit my job, pack my suitcase, get visas, do all of these things in a relatively small amount of time. Um, I had applied around August and then, like as you said, they, they said, okay, we're full. And mm-hmm. then they wrote to me probably a month before the course was about to start. They said, we've got some openings. And then I thought, you know, God, I've already got my head around staying here. Mm-hmm. I've put myself, you know, fully into the things that I'm doing. And so this feels like, what are you doing with me? Um, So I was confused and kind of thrown off guard by it, thrown off balance. Um, But as I started to think about it, I I felt more and more okay about the idea. So I approached my family who I love very much um, Mm -hmm. and are huge fans, huge supporters of me, but obviously like to keep me on the same continent when it's possible. Mm -hmm. And so it was a hard thing to to go to them and say, guys, I'm packing it up and I'm going to Africa for a while. Right. Um, but they were great about it. They were supportive about it. And uh, yeah, they prayed with me and helped me prepare for that. And somehow I ended up a few weeks later on a plane to Paris and then to Cotonou Benin. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so what do you think you expected the mission field to be like? You talked about like being a little bit adventurous and I'm sure that played into it, but what do you think you expected? So for me, um, as much as I, I hoped my motives were pure in going into it, I think there was an element of, I wanna live an interesting, adventurous life. I wanna do something different. I don't just want to like live in Houston for the rest of my life and never explore anywhere else. So as much as I, sought God in these decisions, I would say that there were certain um, selfish elements to it. I wanted to do this for me. Um, And I wasn't necessarily in the beginning thinking about, um, yeah, all the the challenges that would be associated with it. Mm -hmm. I think I thought it would be super rewarding as well. I think... I kind of thought um, everyone would just be... They'll be so grateful. Oh, wow. Home. <laughs> You're here, Leanna. Thank you so much. So there was some definite Barbie savior going into yeah. that. Like, you know, don't worry, guys. I'm here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, the Americans I've are heard here. about some problems over here in Africa, but don't worry. I'm here. Yeah. So I think that there was some of that. As much as I would love to deny that now, that was definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, wanting adventure, wanting excitement, wanting to be told, oh, we're so grateful for all that you're doing here. I think all of those elements were at play in um, the first part of my of my time going to Mozambique. Right. Um, so what surprised you the most about serving as a missionary? Well, there's a lot of surprises about <laughs> serving as a missionary. Um, Good it's, and bad, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd say one of the biggest ones was how slow discipleship is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can read in missionary biographies about people uh, that turn to Christ and they have their entire lives changed and it's all happening in a few paragraphs. Um, but actually in real time, change happens much slower. Mm. And it's often very, very unlinear, very, very frustrating because people will take 
two steps forward, they'll take a step back and you think, is anything actually ever changing here? So you need a lot of patience and grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought I wanted to spend myself for other people. And in theory, I think that that is what I wanted. Um, but I thought that I could do that kind of on my own terms and still be home in time for dinner mm-hmm. and in time to like watch a movie at night and not have my um, pace of life or my my needs interrupted. Like basically substituting a nine to five job for mission work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think in the beginning, I thought, oh, it's so great. It's not nine to five. It's all the time. You know, this is... Um, you just never know when something's going to happen. But after a few months of that, you get pretty worn down by it. So that's when you start to realize that um, spending yourself is one of those things that sounds beautiful and mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> is really hard to do in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how does your life today look different than you thought it would when you decided to serve in missions overseas? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the major ways that my life looks different is that um, I thought I'd be married. Right. So I think that was kind of a big, um, yeah, not not quite the reality that I thought I would be living in. Mm. Um, I think another way that it looks different is um, that we all think that we're generous um, especially when we get to do it on our own, our own terms. And um, whenever you actually don't get to choose the moment that you help someone, you don't get to, um, you know, when people approach you asking for stuff all the time mm-hmm. and you have to sort of sift through that and see what God's asking of you, sometimes you don't want to actually do something in that moment, whether it's helping financially or whether it's giving of your time you don't feel like it Um, whereas I suppose before I had gone on the mission field when I was working um, here in Houston I thought I was kind of a generous person because I was doing it all out of my abundance and out of my free time and you know I do this thing during these certain hours so then you can feel pretty good about yourself right Um, but once you get on the mission field and the needs are far beyond what what you can personally meet Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to see what God is actually asking of you. um, I think it it changes the way that you look at things and you realize that there's um, a lot more, um, yeah, there's a lot more flesh or humanity to yourself than you thought there was. You kind of thought, well, I'm a more, spiritual version of that but mm-hmm. then once you're you're living that out you see nope I've still got the, <laughs> the same yeah. you know the same tendencies that I always had well um even though you did not uh marry you you would be surprised how much that same analogy almost of seeing more of your humanity comes out in marriage too I mean mm. you see just like we we often feel like we're pretty good and then we see ourselves the way that maybe someone else does and we're like oh man that was really a jerk thing i did or i didn't yeah. realize how this thing i did really hurt so many people or in your situation with um working like you know i think that people that work in the medical field are generally generally pretty generous folks mm. but then when they see some young person who volunteers for their youth group and does these other things they think oh you're so great and it kind of feeds that that mm. ego and so I think it's easy to feel like you're pretty good because by comparison you're choosing a little more selfless life in certain areas but um it's yeah. important as much as that hurts to see our humanity it also helps us it's it's how we heal and it's how we look more like Jesus so. yeah and you realize that actually you're you're just there because um, God is working through you. So mm-hmm. um, you were never going to like bring that much to begin with, no matter what you thought. So right. um, yeah, I guess just seeing like that even though you have all this, that is not um, the way you want to be and you know it's not the way God wants you to be, that he's still like, I want to work with you. I'm going to mm. partner with you to bring my kingdom wherever it might be, whether it's in Mozambique or whether it's in Houston, Texas, or wherever it might be. And um, the fact that he doesn't 
need us, but he still chooses to use us, I think is one of those things that continually amazes me. Yeah, that's good. So what has been the biggest unexpected blessing of long-term work with this uh, mission organization? Uh, so I'd say for me, the the biggest blessing has been being part of such a great team. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that you can't really underestimate the value in that. We have heard stories from people that have worked with other mission organizations that have been part of other teams and have had just truly disappointing and heartbreaking experiences. And I can honestly say, as difficult as the work is, I felt like I've been surrounded by some of the best people mm-hmm. in ministry. And um, yeah, from the initial team of um, the people that started the work, the pioneers, Elias and Debbie and Sheffin and Caitlin, and um, yeah, all of those people, to our, our current director, Elisa, and her husband, Raimondo. I've worked with just fantastic team members. And um, yeah, it makes all the difference when you're there in the trenches working hard. Um, it's one of those things that um, there are so many challenges, but because of that, you can't ever just coast with God. You have to stay uh, close to him. You have to depend on him in a way that you don't when, you're, when I was here. Um, Often we don't have enough money for us personally or for the ministries that we want to do. Uh, We're often waiting for visas or permission from the government and we have absolutely no control over it. Um, And there's nothing that we can do to change our situation. Um, And we just have to depend on God. And we've seen him do amazing things. We have to wait on him to move and then he does. Mm. But those periods of limbo of is this going to happen is it not um i'd say that's one of the things that um it really helps to have a team that reminds you no we're in this together we are you know we're all working towards this and i think that's something that um encourages you and keeps you going Mm -hmm. when it is challenging it's really good yeah i think it's in other countries where i mean in America, we have certain things that we expect, certain rights, certain whatever, and that's that's just not always the case in the rest of the world. Yeah. And you have to sort of step back and, and let God work through the people that are in charge, whether mm. they're believers or not. Yeah. And God's going to do great things. And I think that, that it's almost like a forced dependence on mm. him because you don't really have any other options. Yeah. And I think in America, a lot of times we we say that we want to be fully dependent on God, but we also have like 10 other ways to make it happen. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I've I've got, got (laughs) I know a guy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I think that that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think like, um, one of the things, like you mentioned, I, I was going to go with another organization and actually this organization pays salaries and mm -hmm. in the missions world, they have a reputation as paying really good salaries. Yeah. Um, but, when I first started to look into going overseas, I had started to read stories about people that depended on God for their finances and they were down to their last dollar and God told them to give it away. And then Mm. somehow he would do something through another set of circumstances or through another person. Um, And I thought, I want to live like that. Yeah. That is amazing (laughs) because I went um, from college to a decent job. I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to not have a huge debt from college. So I know I was in a different position to a lot of people. Right. And when I went into it, I I had enough money to, or sorry, when I went into working, I had enough money to buy whatever I wanted pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was reading about these people that depended on God financially, this really challenged me. And I thought, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and now I do that, and it's mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's again it's one of those things that sounds hoped. really beautiful, yeah. and is actually uh, like, okay, God, I have to pay my insurance in three days. What's yeah. happening? Here? <laughs> but I, yeah, I can honestly say I've been so stretched by it. I've been um, so encouraged by it. I think to see um god again and again consistently provide for us and for the ministry that we're doing to help us 
feed 18 widows and everything else that we do on a regular basis. Mm. It's been amazing. Yeah. Well, um, you we didn't really plan to talk on this, but um, I think something I was even surprised to find out about the way that you and Allie and your particular family unit, you, when we give to you, you don't hold on to that. Even though it's a small amount, you give still um, about half of it away, which I think is pretty amazing. Like that's that seems very trusting of God. And I think that is something that is cool when you see that happening, because even though it's probably less than any of us have to here in America, um, it's you're still being generous with it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's not something that, um, that we tell everyone, but it is. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, as we've done that, we've seen um, God provide for us even more. Yeah. And yeah, I can't always say that we've been able to to do every single thing that we wanted to do. But I've I've because we we have you know gone this route. We've been able to even though we don't have much, we've been able to use it to. Um, help put people through school to um, fund different projects and that's been such an encouragement it's been amazing to see um, yeah God using your little that you have to Mm -hmm. to multiply his kingdom so as (laughs) as difficult as it is when the money comes in and you think oh we got this much no hang on it's actually significantly less than that yeah it's still been so fantastic to go look we have this and we could really do something mm-hmm. uh with it to to bless someone else or to uh to bless what god is doing in mozambique or even in other parts of the world so yeah yeah that's awesome um so as you talked about earlier you um adopted Ignacio and marta and uh, that story is kind of an interesting one um in that like it's pretty there was no way you could have guessed that that was what was going to happen. Right. So tell me a little bit about that. So um, I suppose I should have sh- I should have said earlier that um, when I pictured my life in in missions, I did think I would be married, but I did think I would probably adopt. Um, I think that's something that's been on my heart for a number of years, and um, something that I um, I feel very passionate about. I feel mm-hmm. like that's such a Jesus thing to do. So I love that about it. Um, but again, you know, when I'm married, when things, you know, a few years down the road was right. kind of my thought. Um, but there was a couple uh, that we knew that had um, come to church on this particular Sunday and they had decided to dedicate their kids in church rather than taking them to the um witch doctor or traditional healer in that mm-hmm. in that place and um, that was quite a bold move for them because of both of their backgrounds um, there was a lot of I guess witchcraft and spiritual stuff going on in their family so for them to take that uh, that stand against uh, the traditions of their families was a huge thing um, so they did that and um, actually my mom and dad were visiting at the time, so they were asked to come up and pray for these twins. Um, so the next, right after the service finished, our friend Eliza, who knew them a bit better, said, um, this lady Rosa, who's maybe 20 years old, um, has been having difficulty breathing ever since um, she gave birth. And it was a Sunday and I knew that they wouldn't do much at the hospital that day. so. I said, okay, the next morning I'll take you to hospital, Monday morning. So I picked her up, we took her to hospital. Uh, she got a prescription, but then they didn't have any of those medicines at the hospital. So we bought the medicines for her, took her back to her house, and we said, okay, on Thursday we'll come and check on you. On Thursday morning, we got a message that she had actually died in mm. the night. So our friend Eliza said, okay, what are we going to do? And I said, well, what do you mean? I just took her to the hospital. Like, right, done. She said, yeah, you know, that's what you asked me to do. I did that. Mm-hmm. I, my commitment ends here. And she said, no, the babies haven't eaten since, you know, 
uh, late or yeah, late last night. So, and they were these teeny tiny twins, three weeks old at this mm-hmm. time. So I said, okay. So Elisa and I went to the store, we bought bottles, we bought formula, and uh, we, f- we fed these babies. And then we made a plan to take them to the local baby house, uh, which is a, an, an orphanage basically there in Marameo. Um, so we, Elisa and I took them uh, from the house where the father was, Vicente. He was, he was quite distraught, but he didn't know what to do. He didn't have any resources to care for this child. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, these children. He didn't have any resources to care for these children. So um, I brought them back and Ali was actually teaching on the DTS. So she she came out from break and I was like, I've got these. (laughs) And she's like, what do you mean? Um, So we offered to the family, we would pay for formula, we would help with expenses if the if some family members of Vicente would look after the kids. Um, and we're not sure exactly why, whether it was because the mother died and they thought there was something spiritual going on or what the reason was, but we couldn't get any family members to agree to look after them. Mm. So then we looked into the orphanage, but the lady that ran it was away at that time. And Marta was super tiny like four pounds at the time mm. and Nasio was only a, a few ounces bigger than her and we had heard that you know things don't always happen in quite the same way when she's away that night feedings might not be as rigorously controlled and things like that and so our teammate encouraged us to um to kind of stay with them for a while until they got a bit bigger mm-hmm. so with no preparation whatsoever, we brought these kids into our lives. Uh, we started doing night feeds and looking after them. And, um, you know, it was supposed to be six weeks until the lady that ran the orphanage came back. And that six weeks turned into two years and mm-hmm. we were still with them. Um, and it it became such a blessing. It became such a an amazing thing. Now, I'm not a... Uh, wake up in the night kind of person. Once I'm asleep, I'm out. So I've got to tell you that night feeds were awful for me. (laughs) (laughs) And usually I would just sleep right through their crying until Allison had to come in and be like, Leanna, wake up. (laughs) And then it was my turn to feed, obviously. So, um, so it wasn't that every, every moment was pure bliss, but it was just, you know, so amazing to have them in our lives. Um, and we, uh, the more that we continued our lives with them, our our teammate Sheffin encouraged us. He said, you know, what if you guys um, were to keep them longer? So we started to pray about that and look into that. And um, we had our doubts and our reservations. Like we were just two friends, like raising kids together. And what did that mean for the rest of our lives? And what would that look like? And we started to talk to their father about it. And he wasn't married at the time. He was still very much involved in their lives, um, but wasn't in a position to look after them on on his own. So we started that process uh, when they were about two years old. And when they were four years old, we were able to get guardianship of the twins. So we don't have full adoption, which means that their father is still still has rights in their life and Mm -hmm. he's still very much involved he's since remarried and now they spend loads of time over at their uh father and stepmother's house and some of their best friends are their brothers and sisters so Mm -hmm. it's one of those situations that had so many so much potential to be a disaster but god's brought so much joy and beauty through it Mm -hmm. and we really feel like you know god's asked us to look after these kids and we feel a tremendous um joy at that but also um a huge responsibility to uh to steward these kids in the best way possible to disciple them and to um to show them um more of god and who he is and so marta and nacio are going to turn 11 this year wow they've been with us all this time and our families have embraced them Mm -hmm. and loved on them and made them feel um yeah so much a part of of our bigger family so that's been uh one of those things that we couldn't have predicted um, but god's brought so much joy to our lives through that 
That's good. Yeah, they're my kids' best friends for sure. Yeah. Um, so what do you feel like helps you remain faithful in the hard times? Well, honestly, at at certain times, you just keep going out of um, duty and commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not an option of quitting. Um, a lot of times my actions are faithful, um, but my heart isn't. Mm. Um, so it isn't that I don't ever experience um, frustrations or downtimes. I think all of those are, are natural and they're a part of our walk with God. And they're definitely a part of putting yourself out in, in ministry. Mm. Um, but I think it's important to us to, to constantly remember why we do what we do. Um, it's impossible to care about everything, even within the scope of the Christian faith. You know, there's right. so many um, issues and things that we can devote our lives to that we can't, we can't care about everything. So it's important that we find people that have our, our particular passions, um, right. that they, they're passionate about the kind of things that you are. And knowing that they're praying for you and receiving words of encouragement from those people mm. really helps. Um, especially having people telling us to, you know, to soldier on, keep going, kind of um, holding up your arms in the hard times, mm. um, that God is with us and that right. we, we need one another. Um, being faithful is really difficult to do on your own. Mm. Um, and having someone to talk things through with really helps. Um, we talk everything through together. So Allison and I, who are raising kids together, we're best friends. And when one of us is um, low, the other one can sort of help yeah. bring the other one up. And yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. Um, we don't pretend with each other or even with our team, um, but equally we don't allow, we don't allow ourselves to, to have a pity party and to right. just wallow forever. We can mm-hmm. see that there's, lots to be done and that you know god is renewing us day by day so all of these things help us to um to process difficult times but not to be fully i guess weighed down by it right um and also we watch a lot of comedy (laughs) (laughs) keep things light yeah i think laughing is like is one of the things that really helps to um to keep you going in difficult times. We think it's a gift from God and it helps us to kind of relieve stress and to find um, joy in the Mm -hmm. things that we do. Um, So something that I'm kind of working on at the moment, I guess, is is trying to find joy all around me. And it's a challenge and I can see, um, but I can see that God is doing stuff. It's slow, like I said before, but it's undeniable. So when you see those little glimpses, in people or in situations, I think that helps you to remain faithful that God has something bigger going on than what you can see in this little right, small view that you've got right now. It's good. Um, yeah, God is working together so many things. Mm. And I think it's really neat to see now where your life is and how none of us would have guessed that that's what it would look like, but we're really thankful that it does. Yeah. Uh, so, um, speaking of being faithful in hard times, you had something really, um, a pretty scary experience recently in Mozambique and, um, and I remember when you, you called me after this happened and I I just was like in shock, I was freaking out, but can you tell us Mm. a little bit about it? Yeah. So it was probably a few months ago, um, about four months ago, I had just, uh, dropped my parents off at Beira, which is the largest city that's near us. And they were flying out after coming and visiting. And um, I was walking along this road by the beach and it was just before evening. I was with my friend Jill and uh, these two guys kind of approached out of nowhere and demanded my bag. Um, I had a lot of YWAM and personal money in there that I had just changed from um, dollars to the Metikais, which is the local Mozambican currency. Um, So I said no, and I held on to my bag. Um, So that kind of resulted in them roughing me up a bit and sort of kicking and pushing me, trying to get me to let go of this bag. And um, 
it took me a long time, but um, because I, I didn't want to give this up, I knew this was, was really important, but eventually uh, they overpowered me and took my bag. Mm. Um, so that was a really scary experience. Um, I was in pain kind of everywhere. And then as I was reaching up for my head, I noticed that there was blood there and they had actually caused me to fall back on the sidewalk and I had a, a laceration on the back of my head, mm. uh, which I had to get um, a few staples for. So, um, yeah, I was in pain for a few weeks afterwards. It was really yeah. scary. And um, the whole time I was, you know, as this is happening, I'm just sort of calling out, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God. And mm. then as I see them run away with my bag, I'm thinking, but you, I thought you were going to help me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was one of those things that, um, yeah, sorry about that. That is really, um, yeah, one of those times when I felt really um, almost abandoned, I guess, mm. by God. Um, and I was trying to see, like, what possible reason could there be for this? And the next day um i got a call um and these nuns had found my bag hanging in a tree Mm. uh which is was a random turn of events but i guess these these two guys had felt bad enough um to sort of put my bag on a tree they had seen something in there um in my residence card that said missionary Mm-hmm. So um, I think they thought I was part of the Catholic University. So these nuns had found my bag and they had somehow gotten in touch with the priest in Marameo who knew something about who we were. He got in touch with us and I was able to get all of my documents back, my mm-hmm. passport, my residence visa, my driver's license, all of these things that would have been really impossible to replace um, were very, very difficult. Uh, That whole day I had been kind of thinking, I need to fly down to Maputo to get a new passport, but I don't have any identification to get on the plane. So how am I going to do this? And trying to think through the order of things. Um, So having that come back was a huge miracle. And um, I guess that was the first step in seeing, um, yeah, what God was, was doing in all of that, all of this, and that he hadn't abandoned me in any way. Yeah. Um, For a lot of people, that might have been the end of their time (laughs) in Mozambique. And I think um, it's normal for your family, especially, and your friends that care about you to feel like, okay, this is enough, right? Like, this means that you're you're done there. Mm. But obviously, that's not um, how things went down. Can you kind of talk to me? I mean, I'm sure there were moments where you were like, is is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this right? Like, how did you kind of process that? Um, So it definitely made me feel some, some doubts about what was happening. And I think the fact that it came on, on top of already having quite a rough and stressful year. So Mm -hmm. I went into that already feeling like, um, not at my 100% ready to deal with all of life's challenges kind of way, you know, mm-hmm. probably um, looking like I'm on the edge of burnout. Um, so all of that, like, in a way, it was a blessing because it made me take stock of what I'm doing and mm-hmm. why I'm doing it, I think. And it forced me to stop. Right. So I think one of the things that came out of that experience was seeing that I was um, kind of going at an unsustainable pace. I um, was, you know, trying to um, make other ministries and make my teammates um, feel like I was doing everything I could. So I was definitely biting off more than I could chew. And I was um, definitely doing um, as much as I possibly could. But I was... I was doing it from a place of almost trying to earn God's love by doing enough good works. Like if Mm -hmm. I do enough stuff, then he'll be proud of me and Mm -hmm. then I'll be, I'll be good to him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess um, through this experience, I've, I've kind of 
been seeing that um, what I am and what I do is enough for God um, mm-hmm. because of Jesus. So, um, you know, from like, I guess the bigger story there, like from the young child all the way up until now, I'm still, I guess, despite knowing better in my head, I'm still, I think, trying to earn his love Mm -hmm. and trying to do enough good things. Um, And I think that was, you know, it took this for God to show me that, um, that that's not what he's asking of me. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I think all of that sort of worked together because I was able to um, stop and take a rest at um, another missions base nearby. um, And they were able to fly us in there for a rest and then fly us back out. And um, yeah, just having that time to stop and talk with talk and pray with people that cared. I think all of that helped me um, to begin to see um, my motivations and how I can really listen to what God is asking of me and not put burdens on him, on myself that are not from him. Right. Um, not feeling like I constantly need to do more um mm-hmm. because otherwise i'm letting him down yeah okay um so uh can you tell me how that experience um helped you to maybe changed you and helped you to deal with self-care and to take care of yourself and i mean i guess you kind of did but mm-hmm. anything else you want to add to that um yeah, so I guess I would I would say that I began to take seriously the importance of rest mm. and why that's necessary and that's actually this, you know, biblical pattern of work and then rest and right. it's necessary. Um and that um yeah, I guess that you can't keep um pouring from an empty bottle. So mm-hmm. I need to be um yeah, taking time to let God refresh me and renew me if I want to carry on. Um, some people, they, you know, they live this short burst of an amazing life, um, like Jim Elliott. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the stories that inspires us. Um, but you can't carry on that pace for years and years and years. Right. And I think um, that's one of the things that I've... Um, yeah, that I'm trying to learn about, you know, this is a marathon, this is not a sprint. So I need to, to do the things that will help me to stay there in a place that is culturally different, that is environmentally different, um, that is spiritually heavy in some ways. But, you know, I need to do the things that can help me rely on God rather than trying to just forge ahead feeling like he needs me to, to do to fix that region mm-hmm. um, because he was at work there long before I ever came along. So um, one of the verses that's been an encouragement to me for the last, um, I suppose, two years is um, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't think that means um, that we passively do nothing, but I think that means that as we, as we are working and moving forward, that it's actually God that's fighting that battle. Mm-hmm. And that sort of takes some of the, the burden off of our shoulders because right. he's he's going to fight far better than we ever could. Right. And his his fighting is going to look different than ours would. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's successful. Mm. Um, and I think... Oh, sorry. No, no, that's all right. I was going to say the other thing um, that I heard some years ago, but it's one of those things that takes time to sort of implement is that... Um, we need to do what God calls us to do and anything else is disobedience. So even stuff that looks good, right? like helping other people, um, if God hasn't called you to do that in that specific time, then that's disobedience. Mm. If he's called you to rest and you are like, oh no, I need to get involved in this problem because right. they need my help. That's disobedience. Mm. And he doesn't need us to fix everything. Right. So... Um, yeah, I suppose understanding um, what God is asking of you in every situation, which 
sometimes feels like more pressure because you don't quite know. I don't know if he's asking me to do this or mm-hmm. not. So then you just do it. But trusting that you're you're hearing God and in every situation, um, checking in with him and then being okay with saying, I, I'm not sure that that's what I need to be doing right now. Right. So um, is there any self-discovery that's been helpful to you? Um, in this process or on the mission field in general? Um, so I say, I would say, like we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. like you're not a holier version of yourself on the mission field. Right. I think I thought, you know, once I go there, then I'll really never struggle, struggle, struggle with anger anymore. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be nice to everyone all the time. Right. Um, but actually the mission field brings out all of your flaws and it amplifies them. So um, yeah, I think that's something that's that's important to know. It's something that sort of helped me as I, you know, as I do missions, as I live in another culture. Um, yeah, I think it's important that we we understand that who we are doesn't necessarily change just because we've changed our geographic location. Right. Or your written occupation, potentially. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. And I think there's a certain level of, like, almost esteem and respect that comes from people when you visit churches and things. Oh, I could never do what you do. Oh, you're so amazing, which is nice. But, like, <laughs> it's not true. She's all right. I'm still kind of a jerk. So, <laughs> like, you should know that. Like, yeah. I'm... There's nothing... Mm. Um, I didn't get a halo when I moved overseas, so right. you shouldn't look at me like that. So what advice do you give the average Christian regarding uh, mission work? So I would say that um, it's far more difficult than you would ever think it could be. But if that's even remotely in your mind, I would say move forward with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I heard early on was that um, you should go and wait for a call to stay. Mm. Um, so not in a, I wouldn't suggest in like a running away from your problems here kind of way. Right. But if that's a passion that you feel like God has put inside of you, to, that you have the capacity to live in another culture, um, to love people that aren't like you, right. and to, you know, to trust God for, for lots of things every day, then I'd say you should you should move forward with that. Some people kind of wait for God to say go. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you to just move forward. And if God wants those doors closed, he will do that. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen plenty of times. Um, but there are so few people that are willing to take that plunge that I would encourage anyone that's thinking about it to, um, to move forward with that. Okay. That's good. That's good. Um, and what advice would you give churches and supporters of missionaries? Um, yeah, so that's a good question. I would say, <laughs> um, when you say that you're going to pray, do it. Right. So that's um, important for you to people to be honest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, I, I love that people tell me that they're praying for me, but... Um, I would say one of the things that helps is if you send a little message afterwards or say, we prayed for you and we prayed about, you know, this particular verse or we felt this for you, all of those things, whether it's for an individual missionary or the team that they're working on, all of those things help us to remember that we are not in in it alone. Right. And I think they remind us that we're part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think they help the people that are on this side to feel connected with with what's happening there. Um, I would also say that if you're going to give, if if God lays that on your heart or you feel like you're going to give, um, sorry, if you f- feel led to give. Yeah, if you feel led to give. There you go. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, follow through with that. Right. Um, I've known a lot of people that have been told, oh, we're going to send you something. And then they never get around to it. Yeah. And most missionaries are not going to feel comfortable asking you about that again. So be careful with your words. Mm-hmm. If that's something that you um, feel like God's asked you to do, then do it as soon as possible. Don't put that off because right. probably that missionary has already started to 
think about where that money could go. <laughs> um, yeah. And also I would say uh, when people come back to their country of origin, uh, they don't really consider that home anymore. They kind of live between worlds now, and mm -hmm. that's a struggle. So I know a lot of people say, what is it like to be home? What's it like to be home? Yeah. Um, but I think for a lot of missionaries, home is this really nebulous difficult to define thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that can be a struggle for them. So ask them about that, encourage them, pray with them. Um, I'd say like, you know, check in with that missionary about how you can make that transition work. Is there anything that you could, um, you could do? Um, I think a lot of people view time back in their country of origin. A lot of church members view that as like, oh, well, you get a long holiday, don't you? You get a long break. But there's usually a lot of things that are happening in that time. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess I would I would encourage people to um, to encourage their missionaries while they're home. I right. think that's a really important thing that helps them to go back to where they're going um, with their tanks a bit fuller. Right. That's good. Um, so... Shifting yes. gears a little bit. Right. Um, what is something that you feel like you're not very good at? I'm sure there's something. I mean, for those of you that don't know Leanna well, she's really good at a lot of things. It's so difficult to say, Stephanie, because I'm so good at so many things. You're better so than the things. average person at so many things. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I've discovered this year that I'm not very good at is is saying no. So that's one of the things that I'm I'm working on. But I would say you said no to me a lot in childhood <laughs> when you were babysitting me. For sure, you were such a brat. <laughs> but I would also say that I'm not very good at crafts and DIY projects, which <laughs> makes me really sad. And like I always think, okay, that's going to be something that I can do. That's a creative, relaxing outlet, and I have big dreams, and I scroll Pinterest for something that I want to do that will um, bring me joy and be something that I can look at for years to come. But every time I do it, I get super frustrated. I get angry. I use words in my head that some people would say missionaries shouldn't say. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it never, I'm, I'm never like in my mind, I'm like, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. And then it's not, it's not. Okay, so crafting and saying no. Yeah, okay. I'd say, but everything else. Everything else is pretty okay. Very little room at... for improvement. <laughs> um, Not at all, no. <laughs> if you weren't doing uh, medical work or mission work, what do you think, as far as occupation-wise, what do you think you would, would like to try out? Um, so I think I would be more interested in, I don't know if an occupation, but I would like to learn more about training in photography it's one of those things you were gonna you say knew it. i was gonna say it i yeah. love it but i so i would say like to support my photography habit like <laughs> i would probably like to work as like a postal worker right now you know like just walk around the houses okay. greet people have time to think my thoughts that to me sounds really relaxing and you think the postal worker's job is relaxing? Well, I think the ones that get to like go out and circulate. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about it that seems really... I think you're thinking of like movies set in the 1950s. Yeah, maybe I am. <laughs> I, I think it's not It's not as idyllic there, as you Mrs. might Mary have. There, Mrs. Yeah. I brought your No, everybody by name. You. It's just the sweet... Okay, job. maybe not. But in my mind, okay. 1950s postal worker in sounds a movie. all right. In a movie. Okay. Yeah. I, I can see that. That yeah. sounds nice. So you grew up with having me as your little sister. Mm. So what do you think is, what was the worst part about having me as a little sister? Gosh, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that the things that annoyed me most as a kid were that, like, you copied me. And that you tagged along to everything I did. Mom was always like, take your sister, take your sister. And I was like, Mom, I don't want to. <laughs> so that was probably the worst parts. Mm -hmm. But the best part stuff, Aww. the best parts were that we got to watch a lot of movies together. Mm -hmm. And then we quoted a lot of movies together, did. which was amazing. We played 
double dare in the backyard is that what it's called double yeah double. yeah yeah and also i um liked that we got to like dress up jc our little brother together oh, yeah. that was yeah, really yeah. fun putting little clothes <laughs> on him and taffy the dog yeah i thought those were good times and i would say more currently that we share a love of new and interesting places to eat we go and get dim sum together and there's lots of pros to having you as a sis so i think i I mean i wasn't reaching or anything no no uh i i remember a period of time where you had i think it was after you'd come back from college or maybe just come home on break when mom and dad turned your bedroom into an office yeah (laughs) and we were sharing a room for a (laughs) while thanks for bringing that up yeah we were sharing a room for a while Mm -hmm. and uh we used to watch like shows that we like shows that we liked, like maybe Seinfeld, mm-hmm. and then shows that just came on afterward that we kind of hated, but we were too lazy to turn the TV off. Oh, there like were some awful ones. Caroline in the City. Oh yes, <laughs> we hated that yes. One. <laughs> Why did we even like watch it? I but don't know. I guess you know Good we times. didn't have loads of options back then, did oh, we? Pre Netflix and Hulu. Yeah. So. <laughs> It was that was good times. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it, and I just think it's great to talk to you anytime. And I've been enjoying having you around. And um, I know that the things that we've talked about are going to be a big blessing to a lot of people. So thanks for coming out. Thank you, Steph. This was lots of fun. Oh, good. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for joining us on the Faithful Podcast. I hope that this show was a blessing to you. Please remember to check out my page, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or email me at faithfulpodcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe to The Faithful Podcast by Stephanie Baker on iTunes so that you don't miss a single episode. Have a blessed day, guys.